Ready? Hello, Glendale Baptist Church, our church family. Uh, this is Pastor Jones, as you can see. And I am coming to you uh, through this medium because, as you know, we are presently in a state of emergency. Uh, it, this is, we are in the middle of a pandemic that's affecting not only uh, us in our local situ situation, but it's also affecting really the whole world, but in particular our country. And as such, our mayor has uh, issued a mandate that there would be no public gatherings of more than 10 people. As you know, we did have worship service last Sunday because at that point, it was just a recommendation that there would be no public gatherings of more than 10 people. And at this point, it is no longer a recommendation, <clears throat> but rather this is the mandate that has been issued by our mayor. As such, we are honoring um, what has been issued by those who govern. This is in the spirit of Romans chapter 13, where we are told to submit to those who govern because we know that they are ministers of God. Uh, in the sense, not that they are all necessarily godly, but in the sense that they represent God's order for us in our interactions, uh, in our civic and national situations. Uh, there may and there comes a time here and there where that which has been determined by the government is in conflict with the Word of God, in which case we follow the counsel of the Apostle Peter, that we must obey God rather than man. Uh, this has caused a great deal of concern and even to some degree conflict within the body of Christ. How do we respond to uh, when, when such a mandate is given, uh, given what we know about scriptures and particularly Hebrews chapter 10 verse 24, where we are told not to forsake the assembling of yourselves together as is the manner of some. Now, what should be understood about that declaration, and certainly it is a requirement that God's people gather. However, the mandate that we are presently under is not random and it's not politically motivated. It's not something that is uh, used as a weapon against the church. In other words, Christians are not being singled out and told not to gather and not to meet. But rather what is at issue here is a matter of, of public health. And so in the spirit of number one, honoring the law that God has put us under in our being part of two kingdoms, the kingdom of man and the kingdom of God, we adhere and we obey those who govern and those who have better insight in these matters than we do. So. This is because this is not politically motivated and the Christian church is not being targeted. Uh, given what the situation is, this seems to be the best counsel for those who govern. But on the other hand, not only is this just a matter of obeying those who govern, this is also a matter of public health. So therefore, in the spirit of the second table of the law, loving our neighbor as ourselves, there are a number of precautions that we need to exercise because there's so much that's unknown about the present virus. That being the case, it is at this time wise for us to follow the counsel of those who have authority and those who have information that is beyond our present ability to grasp to follow that order. That being the case, I do not think that we are in violation of the law of God by not assembling for the present time until such time is, is deemed uh, healthy or wise. 
So we do pray that you would be careful and prayerful as we go through this. And as I said, there are a number, are a number of people within the church community, uh, the Christian church community, that has taken different positions on it. And I don't think this is a time to try to beat our chest as being more spiritual than the other by meeting or not meeting. This is not a matter, just a matter of the state. This is a matter of the second table of the law. However, I want to go a little bit further, and I want to take this moment to just kind of uh, give a theological framework for the moment that we are in. And this is more or less in response to something that I read last week about a pastor in Tennessee, or from a pastor in Tennessee. And pretty much his conclusion was that this particular virus, the coronavirus that we're all dealing with, is God's judgment on the United States because of, of, of same-sex marriages and because we don't allow prayer in the school and a lot of other nebulous reasons. I want to interact with that and just give you a few points of, uh, of observation for a theological framework for dealing with the moment that we're in. Let me say this about the pastor in Tennessee. I'm sure his intentions were very good. And I would argue that from one vantage point, he's absolutely correct. If what he is doing is ascribing this virus or this outbreak as being under the sovereign rule of God, if that's the point that he's making, he's correct. But where he's wrong is making a one-to-one -one correlation to what's going on in our nation to what's going on or uh, the disease itself. It fails on many fronts. For one thing, if his analysis were correct, that would mean the only place that this, this disease would be experienced are places, or the United States in particular, or other places where same-sex marriage is uh, legalized and where they, do, uh, where they also have uh, forbidden prayer in schools. But that's not the point. Let me just lay out some things that I think would, would help bring us into a better, more biblically balanced understanding of dealing with these sorts of things so that we don't try to read our present situation into the scriptures, even as we read reason from the scriptures in how to deal with our present situation. Here's the first point. All sickness, disease, and death are the result of sin in general. All sickness, disease, and death are the result of sin in general. Now, I know God used his prophets in the Old Testament, and he used Moses also to bring indictments against particular nations at particular times for particular reasons. But that's not our situation. God is not speaking to any of us directly and telling us that this is what he's going to do against that nation for a particular reason. Here's what we have to understand. We live in a cursed creation. From the moment of Adam leaving the garden, even though he left clothed in, in, in garments that God had provided for him, he began to die. The very fact of death the very fact of disease and sickness and dysfunctions in our horizontal relationships are themselves effects of our fallen condition. 
we live in a cursed creation. The very fact of hospitals and jails, all of these things are reminders. It's part of what Paul means in Romans 8 when he talks about the creation groaning like a woman in labor. We live in a cursed creation. And so all sickness, in fact, you could say that all sickness and disease are manifestations of death. So any dysfunction that we experience in the world post-fall is itself part of God's curse on the creation in which we live. So one would be hard-pressed unless the Lord told you specifically that this is for that. One would be hard-pressed and really pressing, pushing hard against the boundaries of orthodoxy to declare otherwise. All sin, all disease, all death are themselves because of sin in general, not because of specific sins. Secondly, the cure for the curse of sin and all of its effects is faith in the person and work of Christ. Now here's what we mean by the person and work of Christ. Christ in his flesh fulfilled the demands of God's holy law. In John chapter 1, verse 14, we are told that the word was made flesh. Now he goes on to tell us earlier, actually tells us prior to verse 14, that in the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word was with God. So he's talking about a divine personage, and that divine personage became a human being, became flesh. And he dwelt amongst us. Jesus becoming flesh. Jesus is the eternal word of God who becomes flesh and brings himself under the bondage of the law. Not because he needed to obey God's law. He is the God from whom the law is given. But for our sake, he became flesh so that he could be brought under the, the regulations of the law in our place. So when we speak of the person of Christ, we're talking about the second person of the Godhead who is eternal but became human and flesh in our place. And not only did he fulfill the, the demands of the law, but in our place he bore the full weight of divine judgment that we are due. Sickness, disease, and death, and death are but precursors of the final judgment, the final act of judgment of God against sin. What Christ experiences on the cross is the full weight of divine judgment that will be experienced by all of those who are outside of Christ. Here's the third thing. Therefore, as long as we are in these bodies we will experience the consequences of the curse. We will experience it. We will get sick. We will experience death until the Lord returns. We will experience all of these things, not because we are still under the curse, but because we remain in bodies that are under the curse. However, as Christians, our faith in Christ connects us to a transcendent parallel truth. And by transcendent, what I mean is it connects us to a reality 
that is greater than our present experience. It goes beyond our present ability and our present, uh, our present physical experiences. We are told, for instance, and at the end of this, I'm going to read through a few passages that connect all of this together. But we are told in Ephesians, for instance, that we are seated with Christ in heavenly places. So we do experience the effects of living in a cursed creation. Diseases are because of sin in general. And even though we are connected to Christ by faith, it does not mean that we will not experience diseases. But it does mean that these diseases will not lead us to the final act of condemnation by God because Christ has borne that condemnation for us. Here's a fourth thing. That being the case, while we may experience the effects of the curse, such as sickness and death, and uh, these effects, which are generally precursors of a greater and ultimate judgment, these things, that judgment has been experienced by Christ himself on our behalf. And it's for this reason, you often hear me say, that for Christians, judgment day has already come. We have been judged as guilty in the death of Christ, but the righteousness of Christ has been credited to us. Therefore, we are deemed as righteous. We are truly the righteousness of God by faith. So that doesn't mean that we will not experience the, the effects of living in a fallen world. But Dutch theologian Gerhardus um, Voss uses the, the, the term already but not yet. So already we are seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus by faith. But not yet, we have not yet escaped the, the body that is perishing uh, every day as we exist. So even though we have shared in the judgment of Christ, um, in that God has judged us as judged him as being guilty in our place, we have not reached that point of glorification. But the very fact that Christ is seated means that we will. So therefore, we will experience the effects of the fall, but that does not mean that we have lost anything that has been secured for us through the person and work of Christ. That brings us to a fifth thing. Times like these, when the fact of the, of the curse is manifest so evidently among us, there are a few things that should happen. Number one, we should, it should reinforce for us our confidence in the content and the sufficiency of the gospel. When we see uh, outpouring of, or excuse me, when we see the manifestation and the widespread disease and destruction that we see throughout the world, when we see these things, it sh as we cling to the gospel and the content of the gospel, these things should reinforce to us our confidence in the gospel. As Paul writes to the Philippians, that I am confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of the Lord. So when we experience these things, when we see 
devastation and destruction, when we see disease and pestilence, and the Bible tells us two things about these, these effects of being in a cursed creation. Number one, that they are cyclical. In other words, these things have happened and they will happen. This isn't the first plague that's hit not only this country, but has been really uh, deemed a worldwide pandemic. Not only did you have the 1918 uh, flu outbreak of flu, which was for whatever reason called the Spanish flu, even though it didn't emanate from Spain, but you had other worldwide uh, plagues and uh, spreading of disease and so forth. So these things have happened and who's to say they will not happen again. But the other thing that the Bible tells us is that which is cyclical and that it returns again and again will reach a climactic point sometime before the return of Christ. So they will, in some time, at, at some point, they will intensify, they will return, but they should not be deemed as being something unusual in a world that's under a divine curse. So when we see the manifestation of these things, it's in the face of these destructions, it's in the face of these diseases that we are told what God has given us in Christ. So when we experience these things, it should reinforce our confidence in what God has promised as well as in the, the content and the sufficiency of the gospel itself. This is one of the many reasons it's important that we are clear in what the gospel has given to us so that we know what we're holding on to, that even when our outward circumstances seems to go against what God has promised, we know that he is faithful who promised. And we know if we are confident that Christ is raised and we are seated with him, then we must also be confident that we will not lose anything that has been secured by him. But also the uh, manifestation of these evidences of the curse among us should also light a sense of urgency and urge a sense of urgency in the propagation of the gospel message. In other words, the more that we see devastation and destruction, the more we see disease and evidence that we live in a, in a cursed creation, it should reignite in us a sense of urgency of getting the message out. Uh, the reason for that is because everyone, as we believe it in the, the Christian faith, Everyone who is in Christ is seated in heavenly places. Everyone who is not in Christ will receive something greater, a greater manifestation of divine judgment that is, that is, that is being experienced even now. In other words, they will receive from the hand of God the full weight of divine judgment that Jesus himself experiences on Calvary. Now, there may be exceptions in terms of how people are brought to that faith, but eventually, ultimately, as a general rule, the means by which we go from condemnation to acceptance in Christ is through the reception of the message of the gospel. So if we love, if love for our neighbors, love for our, our family members, means that we are concerned as to whether or not they are exposed to the gospel. There are mitigating circumstances. People raise the question about those who die in infancy, etc. Our Protestant forefathers have dealt with those questions. 
what we must be concerned about is what we know to be true. And that is God has, Christ has called us to be representatives of his. We are ambassadors of Christ and we have been given the mission of not only embracing this message and demonstrating the transformed life that comes as a result of receiving this, this message of, of, of grace, but we have been charged with taking this message to the uttermost parts of the world. We cannot individually save anyone, but through our prayers, through sharing the gospel message, through support of those who do share the gospel message, we know that the ordinary means by which men and women are called out of darkness into the marvelous light is through the truth of the gospel. And truth be told, there are times when we get complacent, not just in terms of our duty of evangelism, but sometimes we forget that we are living in a cursed creation. Sometimes God in his providence and in his, uh, his common grace shows us so much good in this world because as corrupt as this world is, it is still a creation of God and there's beauty in it. And sometimes we become so complacent and the good that we experience that we forget we live in a cursed creation in this time of crisis we do not take this the the sickness for granted we do not take this moment lightly we do adhere to those who govern and those who are the health officials who have the information to help us guide us through this and understand that one of the things that usually comes through these periods is once the pandemic is under control, there's usually improved hygiene, there's usually improved medical knowledge, expanded medical knowledge and medicine that will help us to prevent a future outbreak of the same sort of disease. But let us not think that medical advancement is itself a removal of the curse, because if it's not this, it will be something else. We live in a cursed creation because man has rebelled against his creator. Through this moment, God has given us grace. He's thrown us the lifeline of his son. And faith in his son transcends us beyond this present moment to an experience and a reality that will not be fully revealed until the Lord himself returns. So let us be hopeful. Let us be prayerful. Let us be faithful even as we experience this crisis. Look forward to joining you again soon.